Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Catherine Neatman, who and her husband, Spencer, run Moose Meadow Organic Farm. And uh, Catherine, tell me again, where are you guys located? We're in Clark Fork, Idaho, way up in a panhandle. All right. So you guys are really cold up there. We're pretty cold up there. Yeah. All right. Um, So what zone would they say that is? Um, I call ourselves like a five A. Okay. So that's actually a little tiny bit warmer than we were in upstate New York. Um, cause we were up there, we were for the four A. So, um, yeah, I guess that, you know, even though you're closer up there, it's still a, a slightly warmer than we were. Sure. So, yes. We're on a lake, so it's a little bit buffered. Gotcha. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about how'd you get started farming? Well, I, my husband and I came at it from similar angles. Um, I went to college in, in Maine and at my, my first year of college, I was lucky enough to take a class that was taught by two local farmers and the whole course had like 12 people in it. And the, the point of the course was to learn how to design your own farm business. Okay. And I took it out of interest and was was totally hooked. And the professors at the end were like, well, do any of you want to start your own farm? And Mm. I just shot my hand up and no one else did. And I was like, wait, what? You're not as excited as I am about this. Um, So I was hooked at that point and kind of tailored my studies in school. I went to a liberal arts college, Bates College, and um, tailored my studies towards environmental studies. Um, But then after college, I just kind of pursued the path to my own farm. I um, took some jobs managing, uh, managing farms for other people and other organizations, specifically Bowdoin College. I, I managed their organic garden program for five mm-hmm. or six years. Um, and then went on to manage the agriculture program at Kennebec Valley Community College for a, f- a couple of years before moving out here to Idaho. And Spencer was similar. He, um, he and I met at the Bowdoin Organic Garden and he got a degree in biology, also tailored his studies to agriculture since that was, that's what he was interested in. And then just took jobs out after, after college managing farms for other people. So he worked on um, Turner Farm on North Haven Island. Mm-hmm. And then he managed the farm, like farm to table program at the Point Lookout Resort in okay in, yeah uh, main yep so he and i were were doing that working separately um saving up we were both salaried in our various jobs um saving up to to move out here basically okay very cool and what year did you end up uh, moving out and starting the farm 2016 okay so you've been at it for about five years now awesome that's right yeah So what would you say your big takeaways as you were, you know, working for other people um, were, what was I say, like the biggest thing you learned while you did that? Um, Well, it's amazing, an amazing opportunity to learn to farm while getting paid, (laughs) basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, we had salaries and were, had free reign to, you know, design and run the various programs we were working in. 
Um, and so we were able to trial different things, um, trial different crops, trial different high tunnels, trial different automation systems, trial different irrigation systems, all of those sorts of things without having to shoulder the, you know, the risks. Um, yeah. You know, if something failed, we were still going to get a paycheck. So that that was huge <laughs> for us to be able to kind of cut our teeth with um, with a little cushion, I guess, under us. Yeah. And I know, like you know, even uh, I've been, I, I know about Turner Farm and they have like quite the budget to be able to, you know, do that time of experimenting. So that's nice to be able to have, you know, some money behind the farming to, again, do those trials and errors and again, be able to fail a few times. Sure. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about like, what's a typical week look like on the farm? Obviously, you know, the seasons vary, but let's say this time of year, what does that look like? Sure. It's, it's November. Um, and we are down to, we're a year round farm. So we're down to harvesting once a week and delivering to a fall CSA as well as, uh, five grocery store accounts and four restaurant accounts. Um, so we're harvesting on Monday and Tuesday, both wholesale orders get harvested Monday, retail orders get harvested Tuesday, um, Wednesday, Tuesday and Wednesday are delivery days then. And Thursdays we're um, doing production work. We're seeding microgreens and doing a few last uh, in-ground plantings for the calendar year. Yeah. Um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday are, we try and keep pretty light um, from now on, from now until, I don't know, early new year. And we have little bits of chores to do watering, um, row cover management, but, uh, we try and keep those days pretty, pretty light to spend with ourselves and our family. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now mid season, what does a day look like? Um, bit, bit more activity. Okay. Uh, we're harvesting twice a week, um, from we're harvesting twice a week, May through October. And so that's a harvest day on Tuesday and a harvest day on Friday for both retail and wholesale. Yeah. Um, and then Monday and Thursday, then we call picking days. Um, so we're picking things that need to get picked twice a week or three times a week, regardless of orders, yep. things like squash and, and peppers and tomatoes, um, et cetera. And then Thursday, uh, we're trying to do as much field work as possible. That's our, our main field work day. That's, so that's transplanting, bed prep, direct seating, um, that sort of thing. Okay. And saturday and sunday we we try and take weekends off there's we don't have a crew here just a delivery driver and uh spencer and i do you know there's always chores but we just do the little bits of watering um and cleanup and little bit of picking that need to happen on the weekend but we're not working more than a couple hours a day each on those weekend days Nice. Nice. So talk to us a little bit about your sales strategies. Um, kind of, you know, you've got CSA, you've got the wholesale, like how did those work? Sure. Um, the wholesale, we keep the same grocery store and restaurant accounts year round. And so in the summer we're selling them a, a whole suite of microgreens as well as spring mix. And which is just for us, that's just lettuce. Um, and then tomatoes. And then in the winter, we're just eating that, selling them the suite of microgreens. And okay. so we, we do that year round so that we just stay in touch with the produce managers. You know, a couple of years, we only sold to them in the summer. And then when we came, 
crawling back in in april or may they're like who are you uh yeah and it was hard to start that relationship over again so it's uh it became important for us to to try and and have that consistency 52 weeks of the year um and then on the retail side of things we have a 18 week summer csa with about 100 families and we're doing a fall csa this year for the first time it's um about 80 families and it's 12 weeks. It'll go until Christmas. Okay. Uh, then the rest of the year for retail. So January through most of May, um, we're just, we're running an online store and it's, it's not, there's no membership. Um, we just weekly put what we have available into our store and uh, send out an email to our customer list. And we're selling, uh, I don't know, 12 to 1200 to $1,800 a week that way um, until the CS, the summer CSA starts up again. So. Gotcha. So you're focusing really highly then on the microgreens, the greens, and uh, what kind of prices are you guys getting up there? Cause I know you're, you're, it sounds like you're pretty remote, but uh, it sounds like you're making it work. Yeah, we're making it work. The demand is, is huge. Um, uh-huh. And I don't know if you pay attention to the real estate market, but it's, pretty hot in this area yeah, right now yeah people are moving here from all over um so yeah like i said demand is demand is high um we are so for microgreens we're selling mostly two and a half ounce clamshells to grocery stores yeah and they're putting them on the shelf for 375 to 399 usually um and we're taking home gosh i think we're taking home 215 a clamshell okay um, a clamshell. and then and what size so. clamshell is that? Is that like a, a deep herb pack or is it like a more of a, 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 like a square flatter one? Yeah, it's a square flatter one there. Um, we usually, we, we get them wherever we can find them. Um, yeah. usually gen pack 16 ounce. Okay. Shell 16 is what ounce. Called. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're using an eight ounce and then we're at, well, we're using a 16 ounce. Okay. So I know the exact size you're using. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two and a half ounces. Okay. 215. Okay. Very cool. Now let's say something like, um, summer squash. What are you, what's the price on that? Well, we aren't, we're only doing that retail and we are, we sell it by the bunch through our CSA and our CSA lets us like, we use a a software program called Harvey. They let us put prices on each item. So we're charging 385 a bunch for that in the Harvey program. Okay. And that's like a bunch of three squashes. Yeah, roughly. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm always just interested to hear what we can get. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about your production systems. Um, you guys look like you don't use, um, tractors. No, we don't. <laughs> we do a lot of hand, a lot of handwork. Um, we own a BCS walk behind, um, but we wish we didn't. <laughs> and we, we okay. literally don't do any uh, field work with it. Um, so we are using the tilther heavily. We use yeah. that a lot. Um, we're using a broad fork. We're using, um, yeah, hand tools, wheelbarrows, buckets of compost, uh, that sort of thing. You know, our, the footprint of our farm is, is pretty small. The, yeah. The fenced area is two acres. So that includes yeah. one acre of, of tunnels and field space and then outbuildings and, and pathways make up the balance. And so yeah. we're, you never have to walk more than about a quarter 
uh, well, 400 yards, I guess, um, to get from one place to another. So gotcha. Manageable. Yeah. So then, okay. So you got that now let's say like, um, so greens are grown, um, like you're using the paper pot transplanter. That's right. Okay. And so then, okay. So you're doing like a no-till system, you know, just tilting the top broad fork, putting Mm -hmm. compost on. Um, and then how are you flipping beds? Uh, we, we use tarps whenever we're able, um, if time allows, which most of the time we're able. Um, so even for like a a large crop, like broccolini, we'll clip the plant off at soil level and then tarp it Okay. for uh, as long, uh, you know, as long as it takes a few weeks in summer or like right now, there'll be tarps all winter. Um, so yeah, tarps when we're able. And then when time does not allow, we're on hands and knees pulling out pulling out lettuce stubs or arugula stubs or whatever, uh, before composting and broad forking and tilting and getting it ready again. Okay. Now what size of tarps do you guys use? Um, most of them are like 50 by a hundred, I think. Okay. Um, So pretty large. Yeah. Those are that size pretty heavy. Yeah. They're pretty heavy. Yeah. It will take two or three people to move them around. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know we have, we use like 32 by hundreds and we typically, you know, we'll, we'll fold them up and then roll them to an end. And then we actually roll them right onto a pallet and then we use the tractors to move them around from there. Um, but yeah, you're doing it by hand. Um, we're doing it by hand. Most tarps live next to the field on which they'll be deployed. So we're not hauling okay. them from point A to point B. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. That totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about, you said you do have some team. Talk to us about the team you have. Sure. It's, um, it's in flux right now. We had a great team over the summer of two full-time farm workers, one part-time harvest day help, and then a delivery driver. And the two full-timers are now gone and we have um, just one part-time harvest day helper. And that person will be with us through uh, well, through the whole winter, we'll bring someone else on early in the new year. Um, we get, yeah, it all, it always catches us off guard how quickly we get busy. So we want to start someone new again, quickly, um, in the new year. And then we we're thinking we'll bring on at least one other person for harvest day help, uh, again, next summer. And then that, so that we'll, we'll have a team of two full-timers and two part-timers, including our delivery driver. Gotcha. Now your CSA, do they pick up on site or you deliver the drop sites? We have drop sites. Yeah. Our farm's pretty remote. So we take the, the produce to two uh, central locations for folks to come pick up. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Um, what would you say the hardest part of being a farmer is? Oof. Since you're asking me today, <laughs> uh, <laughs> today it's employee management. Um, it's it and it never used to be anything that I thought of, spent time thinking about but um now that we're we have a, a baby and so mm-hmm. our reliance mm-hmm. on employees is is just greater now than it has been and yeah. it's just a hard thing to figure out uh how one how to attract and retain them to how to how to manage them uh I've just found that we have to be our best on our, on a daily basis or they pick up on it. And if we're not our best, uh, 
then, like I said, they'll pick up on it. And then I feel, you know, I feel guilty or, uh, you know, feel and, like I've and when you mistake. say, yeah, when you say your best, you mean your best at working or your best just attitude? Oh, attitude, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, great attitude, but also, you know, if I make a mistake in telling someone how to do something or, you know, I don't show them, give them the tools they need to mm. succeed, then, then they can't succeed. And I, you know, there's a mistake on in production and I feel bad. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard. You know, it doesn't, that doesn't mean we don't nail it sometimes. Sometimes we, we have a really cohesive group going, but it's yeah, tricky. no, yeah. Employees are always the hardest part of any business. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, we're again, we're a rapidly growing farm. So we have a lot of people, um, and, uh, yeah, just onboarding them, helping them figure out all the, the details, that kind of stuff is, is always challenging. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Hey, thriving farmers. Where are you on your thriving farmer journey? So if you go to our website, growingfarmers.com, you can click on the assessment button and that will take you to a form, ask you a few different questions, and that will help you figure out where you are on the five stage thriving farmer journey. And what that does then is kicks you a customized PDF that gives you resources to know exactly what to focus on next in your business to go to the next level. So go to growingfarmers.com and click on the assessment. So talk to us a little bit about the early part of farming. Like, were there specific challenges you guys faced as you were getting started up? I know you talked about deer fencing. Was that necessary from day one or? Yeah. Deer fencing caught us off guard a little bit. Um, we weren't planning on building a deer fence in, mm. in year one, but the deer pressure in our area is just so intense. We, we wouldn't be able to produce a leaf uh, if we yeah. hadn't fenced it out. Um, so yeah, we, we did that. Um, Spencer and I had a savings, a combined savings of about $80,000 when we started and it's family land. So no mortgage there. It never like escapes me how, what a great blessing that is. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But so no mortgage, but we used those funds to build our house. We have a small uh, cabin that we live in. Um, And then we drilled a well and we brought power to the site and those three things ate up most of it. Um, mm-hmm. we were able, we were able to put up two high tunnels in year one and we, we weren't a, we weren't eligible for grant funding at that point because the NRCS requires the land to be in production already. Um, yeah. so we just decided to forge ahead. We needed the tunnels. Um, we didn't get reimbursed for them. And then we both got part-time winter jobs, uh, for six or seven months, um, to kind of bolster the funds before our first summer season. But mm-hmm. we sold food. The Our first season was a fall and winter. Um, and we did that intentionally so that one, we would have income over the, the fall and winter, but also because there's not really anyone else doing what we're doing in this area. And so we kind of thought we would stand out to customers Um and, you know, it might be easy for us to attract them if we're the only, the only option. So mm. that, that worked out pretty well for us in year one. Okay. Now you are talk to us about the year round. What things do you grow in the tunnels during the winter? They are filled with, uh, our plant house is where we do the microgreens production. So those are, you know, grown in trays, but, um, then we have, we have a total of four 
high tunnel greenhouses. Two are heated, one, uh, two are not. And so they all have a mixture of things. We like to mix up the, what goes in the heated and what goes in the unheated tunnels. Um, but we're heavy on spinach and lettuce and close follow-up it's kale and chard. And then we have a whole bunch of radishes, celery, cilantro, parsley, uh, dill, um, lettuce heads, if I didn't say that already, a bunch of Asian greens, komatsuna is one we grow a lot of, and bok choy. Um, mm-hmm. We're doing some trial chicories. Um, yeah, that's, that's so, the assortment. Then we have a ton of storage crops. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about the um, the uh, cilantro and dill. Are those something that, do you, do you, do you keep these houses, um, do you heat them at all? Or are they, you said two are heated, two are not? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, so like so the- cilantro and dill will do well and parsley, they'll do well unheated for us anyway. Um, yeah. So they're, yeah, we will seed them in late July, transplant them in late August and well, cilantro, parsley is a bit earlier than that. Um, and then, uh, we're getting harvest off them now. So yeah, from the unheated, from the unheated houses. Okay, cool. And then you said you're also doing, um, uh, obviously spinach and lettuce and, uh, the, the bok choy. Now the bok choy, do you bunch that or you pick out the outer, the out, bigger outer leaves? How do you manage that? Um, the bok choy and the komatsuna we're bunching. Um, okay. so yeah, bok choy. We're, we do less of that because we have a lot of slug pressure and they make it unmarketable mm-hmm. um, in the winter. It's slug pressure, but the komatsuna grows really upright and the slugs and it has skinnier stalks. So the, it doesn't get nearly as damaged. Um, so that's what we're doing a lot of from now until, I don't know, till growth starts again in late February. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we seed it in clusters and we then bunch it and sell it as a nice tall, nice tall bunch of greens. So the common sooner you're doing like three seeds to a cell. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And is that paper potted or just, uh, just plant transplanted? It's paper potted. Okay. Great for us. And are you doing like four rows in the bed? Um, let's see in a 30 inch bed, we're doing five rows and they're oh, so six inches. Okay. So you're super tight on that. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Now, another thing you mentioned earlier is you have a daughter. Congrats. Um, talk to us a little bit about like, you know, obviously farming with a very small child is very challenging. Talk to us about kind of like one of the, some of the things you've learned along that journey. Yeah, we've learned a lot. Uh, she's almost 10 months and, um, she, as far as babies go, I think she's pretty easy though. I, she's our first, I don't have anything to yeah. compare it to. Um, yeah, she, she'll ride in the backpack, um, for a good bit of her waking hours. And, and that way Spencer, I can do work while she's with us. Um, Mm -hmm. at other times she'll hang out at the, if, if I can swing it, I'll like put her on in a, in a, um, field header, like a grass path and uh, I'll in the bed nearby. Um, she likes to, you know, crawl in the dirt and eat a little too much of it if we're yeah. not careful. Um, we're working on, she, she's napping at home, which is great, but um, our baby monitor doesn't reach from our house to the, to okay. the farm. So we're working on, uh, you know, if, if she's napping, one of us is usually at home doing office work um, and that sort of thing. 
but yeah, it's, it's a joy having her. It's, it's so different than, than any way, any way we farmed before because our brains oh. are never fully focused. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's such a joy. She, she lights up our day. She lights up the, our crew. Um, and it's just fulfilling to have her out there with us all the time. So yeah, yeah. Bring, she brings challenges, but also a ton of rewards. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the, the marketing side of, of the farm. So obviously you've got the wholesale, you got the CSA. Do you have a problem, you know, filling the CSA or do you have pretty regular customers that come back? Yeah, the CSA sells out pretty quickly. Um, I, like within a week, I'd say we're, we're selling all our hundred shares. Um, so that, that feels good. And uh, we're, you know, there, the demand is higher than, than the supply. So people are talking about us spreading the, by mm-hmm. word of mouth. Um, and so that feels good. We, we don't do a whole lot of marketing, you know, yeah. I, I, I do put a lot of effort into our website. Um, and I put a moderate amount of effort into our social media. Um, and I guess I put a lot of effort into our email newsletter. Um, Mm -hmm. I do Mm -hmm. spend a little over an hour on that each week. Um, but it's a good position to be in when, when, when demand is higher than supply so that we're only going to put in as much work as we have to, I guess, to, to keep going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now let's talk about, do you have a favorite crop you like to grow? Yeah. I like to grow winter squash. Really? <laughs> uh, it's, it's not, it's not a moneymaker for us. Um, but it's one of my favorite things to eat and it's just a set it and forget it crop. Um, yeah. I love that about it. It's different from most of the other crops we grow. Uh, so yeah, yeah, not, yeah. We don't we don't grow very much of it, but honestly, it is my favorite. Okay, well, you're allowed to like one crop. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I I love growing sweet potatoes, even though they're, they're they're profitable. They're not hugely profitable for us, but yeah, I'd say sweet potatoes and um, uh, strawberries. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about the mental game. You know, obviously, you know, farming. Um, when you got started, was there you know a big uh, can we make it happen? Or are you pretty confident knowing that you had the experience? We were pretty confident. Um, it helped having a lot of experience. Of course, when we actually started out on our own, it felt like we knew nothing, but, yeah. um, we, we did know enough about actual, the actual cultivation of crops to, to make a good run for it. Um, so we, we always say, Spencer and I always told each other, like, look, we just want to have this lifestyle. It doesn't matter if we're selling grapes and rabbits or, you know, sweet potatoes and strawberries. We, this is the lifestyle we want and let's make it work. Um, so with that attitude, uh, we just really haven't considered quitting or changing courses. Um, I'd say, yeah, we've been full steam ahead since day one. Yeah. You've just figured out how to make it work and then go from there. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the, um, the aspect of running the business. So, you know, you've got, obviously it's the, the production aspect and there's the running the business. Do you have any tips for folks, you know, getting in, they're just starting the, the farming business side of things. Yeah. I would say it's got to be a business. Um, the least sustainable thing you can do is go out of business. And so, 
rev the you know the revenue side of the business has to be the top priority um you know we looked at it as a business from day one not necessarily from the standpoint of like a, a lifestyle um or like you know a subsistence enterprise uh and it's it's hard running a business but if we weren't focused on those the business aspect um i don't think we would we would be lasting. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think we'd be in year five basically. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you guys, um, you know, do you cut crops based on product, uh, profitability or are you like, you know, you have to grow like a, a wide variety just to keep people coming back. As long as the overall business is making money, you're okay with, let's say growing winter squash. Uh, no, I mean, winter squash is an exception. We, we probably shouldn't grow it, but, um, we, we do grow a fairly narrow assortment of crops. Um, yeah customers, you know, beg us to grow certain things every year and we're just not, we're just not going to do it. And I can't say we've lost customers over that, but, um, you know, people would love it if we would, were to grow strawberries and sweet corn. Um, we're never, never going to grow strawberries and sweet corn. It just won't make sense on our scale. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we definitely, um, are paying attention to the profitability of each, of each crop. I mean, that said we have, a few built-in buffers, which is our wholesale crops. Um, so, you know, spring mix lettuce, we're doing about 280 pounds a week in the, mm-hmm. for 20, 26 to 30 weeks of the year. And then microgreens were selling, you know, 52 weeks of the year. And because of, because those crops are such standbys, we can afford to grow things like winter squash. Um, mm-hmm. what's another, what's another low profit maybe leeks are a low profit yep. crop too. Yep. Uh, so we, we do grow those things, even though we're not making nearly as much money per bed foot or per hour worked or whatever on them. Yeah. But everyone loves a good leak. Oh yeah. They're, they're satisfying. Yeah. Now with leeks, do you just, um, you paper pot those? Um, no, we don't. We dibble them. Okay. We dibble them ground though. Yeah. Okay. Cause I don't see a lot of you guys using a lot of fabric or anything like that. sounds like you're mostly bare ground. Yeah. We're mostly bare ground. We don't, uh, winter squash is the exception. We put fabric around that, but yeah, uh, nothing else. All right. Very cool. Well, anything else you'd like to share with us before we go? No. <laughs> any last, any last questions? Um, spin it. I'm looking at this picture of spinach on your website. Uh, do you sure. use a green greens cutter to cut that? Or do you, um, cut that by hand? Uh, in the summer we'll use a greens cutter for it. It's a one okay. and done and we'll wholesale it that way. And then in the winter we're finger picking and okay. just reset. So the leaves yeah. are a bit bigger, takes longer, but higher price per pound and higher quality. Cause you're not getting cut leaves with hand picking. Right. Yeah. Yep. Now when you're doing the once and done, it looks like, is that like five rows per 30 inch bed? That's right. Yep. And, uh, what variety do you like for the uh, greens cutter? We're using lizard. Okay. Uh, yeah. We do like a lot, but we're always trialing since you never know when lizard's going to disappear or if mm-hmm. there's more down races, but yeah. right now we're doing lizard. Yeah. This fall we've been liking sun angel. Uh, that's a new one oh, from cool. Johnny's and, um, and then of course the red vein spinach, we always like that. We had some trouble this year with the, cause Johnny's carried two varieties and I didn't really look into it. One was terrible and one was good. So we ended up with the terrible <laughs> one most of the season. <laughs> so, Bummer. 
Yeah, of course. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we do like that because it's faster and, and just, it's just another interesting, we call it Christmas spinach. So it kind of has a pretty good, you know, name recognition for that. So yeah, that's great. Cool. All right. Well, Hey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Appreciate your time and uh, best of luck to you and Spencer out there and your little baby daughter. And uh, hopefully we'll run into each other some future date. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks so much, Michael. All right. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.